This is John W. Whitehead, author of Battlefield America, The War on the American People, bringing you a message about the state of our nation. We're living in two worlds, you and I. There's the world we see or made to see, and then there's the one we sense and occasionally catch a glimpse of. The latter of which is a far cry from the propaganda-driven reality manufactured by the government and its corporate sponsors, including the media. Indeed, what most Americans perceive as life in America, privileged, progressive, and free, is a far cry from reality. Where economic inequality is growing, real agendas and real power are buried beneath layers of Orwellian doublespeak and corporate double-talk, and freedom, such as it is, is meted out in small, legalistic doses by militarized police armed to the teeth. All is not what it seems, folks. You see them on the street. You watch them on TV. You might even vote for one this fall. You think they're people just like you. You're wrong. You're dead wrong. Well, that's a quote from John Carpenter's film, They Live, the premise of the film, by the way, which was released 30 years ago in November 1988 and remains unnervingly, chillingly appropriate for our modern age. Best known for his horror film, Halloween, which assumes that there is a form of evil so dark that it can't be killed, Carpenter's larger body of work is infused with a strong anti-authoritarian, anti-establishment, laconic bent that speaks to the filmmaker's concerns about the unraveling of our society, particularly our government. Time and again, Carpenter portrays the government working against its own citizens, a populace out of touch with reality, technology run amok, and a future more horrific than any horror film. In his film, Escape from New York, Carpenter presents fascism as the future of America. In The Thing, a remake of the 1951 sci-fi classic of the same name, Carpenter presupposes that increasingly we're all becoming dehumanized. In Christine, the film adaptation of Stephen King's novel about a demon-possessed car, technology exhibits a will and a consciousness of its own and goes on a murderous rampage. In The Mouth of Madness, Carpenter notes that evil grows when people lose the ability to know the difference between reality and fantasy. And then there is Carpenter's They Live, in which two migrant workers discover that the world is not as it seems. In fact, the population's actually being controlled and exploited by aliens working in partnership with an oligarchic elite, all the while the populace, blissfully unaware of the real agenda at work in their lives, has been lulled into complacency, indoctrinated into compliance, bombarded with media distractions, and hypnotized by subliminal messages beamed out of television and various electronic devices, billboards, and the like. It is only when a homeless drifter known as John Nada discovers a pair of doctored sunglasses known as Hoffman lenses that Nada sees what lies beneath the elite's fabricated reality of control and bondage. When viewed through the lens of truth, the elite, who appear human until stripped of their disguises, are shown to be monsters who have enslaved the citizenry in order to prey on them. Likewise, billboards blare out hidden and authoritative messages. Magazine racks scream, consume, and obey. A wad of dollar bills in a vendor's hand proclaims, this is your God. When viewed through Nada's Hoffman lenses, some of the other hidden messages being drummed into the people's subconscious include no independent thought, conform, submit, 
stay asleep, buy, watch TV, no imagination, and do not question authority. This indoctrination campaign, injured by the elite and they live, is painfully familiar to anyone who has studied the decline of American culture. A citizenry that does not think for themselves, obeys without question, is submissive, does not challenge authority, does not think outside the box, and is content to sit back and be entertained is a citizenry that can be easily controlled. In this way, the subtle message of They Live provides an apt analogy of our own distorted vision of life in the American police state, which one philosopher refers to as dictatorship and democracy, or the invisible order which sustains our apparent freedom. Folks, we're being fed a series of carefully contrived fictions that bear no resemblance to reality. The powers that be want us to feel threatened by forces beyond our control, such as terrorists, shooters, and bombers. They want us afraid and dependent on the government and its militarized armies for our safety and well-being. They want us distrustful of each other, divided by our prejudices and at each other's throat. Most of all, they want us to continue to march in lockstep with their dictates. Tune out the government's attempts to distract, divert, and befuddle us, and tune into what's really going on in this country, and you'll run headlong into an unmistakable scary truth. The money elite who rule us view us as expendable resources to be used, abused, and discarded. In fact, a study conducted by Princeton and Northwestern University concluded that the United States government does not represent the majority of American citizens. Instead, the study found that the government is ruled by the rich and powerful or the so-called economic elite. Moreover, the researchers concluded that policies enacted by this governmental elite nearly always favor special interests and lobbying groups. In other words, we are being ruled by an oligarchy disguised as a democracy and arguably on our way toward fascism, which is a form of government where private corporate interests rule, money calls the shot, and the people are seen as mere subjects to be controlled. Not only do you have to be rich or beholden to the rich to get elected these days, but getting elected is also a surefire way to get rich. As CBS News reports, and I'm quoting, once in office, members of Congress enjoy access to connections and information they can use to increase their wealth in ways that are unparalleled in the private sector. And once politicians leave office, their connections allow them to profit even further. In denouncing this blatant corruption of America's political system, former President Jimmy Carter blasted the process of getting elected to the White House, Governor's Mansion, Congress, or state legislatures as, and I'm quoting here, unlimited political bribery a subversion of our political system as a payoff to major contributors who want and expect and sometimes get favors for themselves after the election is over, unquote. Rest assured that when and if fascism finally takes hold in America, the basic forms of government will remain. Fascism will appear to be friendly. The legislators will be in session. There will be elections, and the news media will continue to cover the entertainment and political trivia. Consent of the government, however, will no longer apply. Actual control will have finally passed to the oligarchic elite controlling the government behind the scenes. Does this sound familiar? Clearly, we are now ruled by an oligarchic elite of governmental and corporate interests. We have moved into corporatism, which is the halfway point on the road to full-blown fascism. Corporatism is where the few moneyed interests, not elected by we the people, rule over the many. 
In this way, it's not a democracy or a Republican form of government, which is what the American government was established to be. It's a top-down form of government, one in which has a terrifying history, characterized by the developments that occurred in totalitarian regimes of the past. Police states where everyone is watched and spied on, rounded up for minor infractions by government agents, placed under police control, and placed in detention, also known as concentration camps. For the final hammer of fascism to fall, it will require the most crucial ingredient. The majority of the people will have to agree that it's not only expedient, but necessary. But why would a people agree to such an oppressive regime? The answer is the same in every age. Fear. As philosophers have noted, fear makes people stupid. Fear is the method most often used by politicians to increase the power of the government. And as most social commentators recognize, an atmosphere of fear permeates modern America. Fear of terrorism, fear of police, fear of our neighbors, and so on, and so on, and so on. The propaganda of fear has been used quite effectively by those who want to gain control, and it's working on the American populace. Despite the fact that we're almost 18,000 times more likely to die from heart disease than from a terrorist attack, 11,000 times more likely to die from an airplane accident than a terrorist plot involving an airplane, over 1,000 times more likely to die from a car accident than a terrorist attack, and eight times more likely to be killed by a police officer than a terrorist, we have handed over control of our lives to government officials who treat us as a means to an end, the source of money and power. As the bearded man in They Live warns, And I'm quoting, they are dismantling the sleeping middle class. More and more people are becoming poor. We are their cattle. We're being bred for slavery, unquote. In regard, we Americans are not so different from the oppressed citizens in Carpenter's film, They Live. From the moment we are born until we die, we are indoctrinated into believing that those who rule us do it for our our own good. The truth is far different. Despite the truth staring us in the face, however, we have allowed ourselves to become fearful, controlled, pacified zombies. We live in a perpetual state of denial, insulated from the painful reality of the American police state by wall-to-wall entertainment news and screen devices. Most everyone keeps their heads down these days while staring zombie-like into an electronic screen, even when they're crossing the street. Families sit in restaurants with their heads down separated by the screen devices and unaware of what's going on around them. Young people especially seem dominated by the devices they hold in their hands, oblivious to the fact that they can simply push a button, turn the thing off, and walk away. Indeed, there is no larger group activity other than that connected with those who watch screens. That is, television, laptops, personal computers, cell phones, and so on. In fact, a Nielsen study reports that American screen viewing is at an all-time high. For example, the average American watches approximately 151 hours of television per month. The question, of course, is what effect does such screen consumption have on one's mind? Psychologically, it's similar to drug addiction. Researchers have found that almost immediately after turning on the television, Subjects reported feeling more relaxed, and because this occurs so quickly and the tension returns so rapidly after the TV is turned off, people are conditioned to associate television viewing with a lack of tension. 
Research also shows that regardless of the programming, viewers' brains' waves slow down, thus transforming them into a more passive, non-resistant state. Historically, television has been used by those in authority to quiet discontent and pacify disruptive people. According to Newsweek, and I'm quoting here, faced with severe overcrowding and limited budgets for rehabilitation and counseling, more and more prison officials are using TV to keep inmates quiet. Unquote. Unbelievable. Given that the majority of what Americans watch on television is provided through channels controlled by six mega corporations, what we watch is now controlled by a corporate elite, and if that elite needs to foster a particular viewpoint or pacify its viewers, it can do so on a large scale. What does this mean? If you're watching, you're not doing. All this brings me back to They Live, in which the real zombies are not the aliens calling the shots, but the populace, we the people, who are content to remain controlled. When all is said and done, the world of They Live is not so different from our own. We too are focused on only on our own pleasures, prejudices, and gains. Our poor and underclasses are also growing. Racial injustice is growing. Human rights are nearly non-existent. We too have been lulled into a trance, indifferent to others and their suffering. Oblivious to what lies ahead, we've been manipulated into believing that if we continue to consume, obey, and have faith, things will work out. But that's never been true of emerging regimes. And by the time we feel the hammer coming down upon us, it will be too late. So where does this leave us? The characters who populate Carpenter's films provide some insight. They still believe in the ideas of liberty and equal opportunity. Their beliefs place them in constant opposition with the law and the establishment, but they are nonetheless freedom fighters. When, for example, John Nada destroys the alien transmitter and they live, he restores hope by delivering America a wake-up call for freedom. That's the first step in restoring true freedom, folks. We need to wake up. Stop allowing yourselves to be easily distracted by pointless political spectacles and pay attention to what's really going on in America. The real battle for control of this nation is not being waged by and between Republicans and Democrats in the ballot box. As I make clear in my book, Battlefield America, The War on the American People, the real battle for control of this nation is taking place on roadsides, in police cars, on witness stands, over phone lines, in government offices, in corporate offices, in public schools, hallways, and classrooms, in parks and city council meetings, and in towns and cities across this country. The real battle between freedom and tyranny is taking place right in front of your eyes, if only you would open them. All the trappings of the American police state are now in plain sight. Wake up, America. If they live, the tyrants, the oppressors, the invaders, and the overlords, it is only because we the people sleep. The Rutherford Institute is doing its part to push back against the police state and make the government play by the rules of the Constitution. But we can't fight these battles alone. Visit our website at www.rutherford.org and check out our library of thought-provoking commentaries, legal resources, and so much more. Subscribe to our email alerts and I will send you my weekly commentary, Rutherford press alerts, and a weekly rundown of pertinent headlines and news articles to keep you apprised of the growing threats to our freedoms. And finally, if you are able, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to the Rutherford Institute by again visiting us online at www.rutherford.org or donate using PayPal. Your donation allows the Rutherford Institute to push back against the government's power grabs, corruption, and ongoing assaults on the Constitution. Together, 
we can make America free again.